Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, the New York Sessions. I'm Andy Uri, and alongside me is my co-host, Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. Hello, Pippa. And today we are joined by the fabulous Josh Auerbach. He's the COO of Aura Frames, a fabulous uh, company. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. How are you Thank doing? you. I'm excited to be here. Very good. So tell us a little bit about the company you work for, first of all. The company is called Aura, and we are what people would see as a digital picture frame company. We have a product that we manufacture and sell that is a digital picture frame that connects via Wi-Fi. And the magic of it is that it is very tightly connected with our server software and our mobile apps so that you can buy one for your mom and give it to her as a present. It lives in her house and connects to her Wi-Fi. And then you take pictures of your lovely children or her grandchildren. And she is absolutely thrilled to see them. She's thrilled. She has unlimited appetite for pictures of her grandchildren. <laughs> yeah. and this has been scientifically proven. Yeah. Absolutely true. And so we let you take as many pictures as you want. It's unlimited. And you can send them all to your mother's frame. And you can make her very happy. And this concept's been around, I mean, digital frames must have been around 20, 20 years. 20 years. Yeah, something like that. They started appearing in John Lewis. And what you used to preload them with a couple of pictures, did yeah, you? Yeah, the industry went through a real boom and bust and boom again. So the early years, I think Sony came out with the first one, it's got to be 20 years ago, and you would load pictures onto it with a SD card and then a USB flash drive. People loved the idea of it, but what always happened is that people would load the initial batch of photos onto them, and then those photos would stay the same. And I don't know what the first one was like in terms of the vibrancy and quality of the picture. That oh, was much a, worse than yeah. they are now. The, the LCD technology has improved so much over the years. But what we saw was that people bought them, they gave them as gifts, they loaded the initial batch of pictures on them, and then they got stale and they got dusty. Yeah. And so the product went from nowhere to, I think at one point, Something like 15% of U.S. households had one. Wow. And then it went essentially down to zero again. Wow. And what right. changed was two things, really. First of all, ubiquitous Wi-Fi. So right now, essentially, every household that has sort of a decent amount of money has Wi-Fi. God, you take it, it wasn't that long ago we didn't have Wi-Fi. Right, I, and I, that has been statement. massive change in the smart home business. And second of all, we're all walking around now with these amazing cameras in our pockets that are connected to the internet. Yeah, And so the friction that you used to have of taking a picture digital with your camera. digital camera yeah. and taking the memory card out, loading the pictures onto your computer, and then you want to add them to your mother's frame, you would get the memory card from her frame and add pictures to it. It, it just didn't happen, right? And for whatever reason... People have very high tolerance for old printed photos. You have a picture of, of your mm-hmm. wedding, your grandparents, and it's in a nice frame, and people like that. It's interesting, isn't it, that it's something? there's something uh, more disposable about them, even, I if think they, so. even though they're in a frame and there they are. Yeah, for whatever reason, people don't find a stale set of digital photos on a frame to be that appealing unless they're interleaved with new photos. And so with Aura... You can add new photos to the frame, and for whatever reason, that makes the frame appealing and interesting. And yet, people are very happy then to see the older photos on it. They'll go and look at the frame, and there'll be pictures of 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and people do love that. 
Where does the video fit in these days? Do people, is it worth putting video on these little frames? We added video support about two years ago, and it was a thing that we thought really hard about. And there were two aspects to it. One of which was that we want the frame to blend into the background. It's not intended to grab your attention. And two, video is generally best with audio. And we did not want the frame to make sounds unexpectedly. And so we had to work through both of those. On the audio side, the decision that we made was that it would only play the audio when you were interacting with it. And during the testing process, in the early days when the software had bugs in it, sometimes the frame would just start making noise in the background, which is intolerable, right? <laughs> and then it's even, slightly freaky. It's like the Alexa just decides to yes. play stuff. Does yours do this? Yes. Constantly decides to play something. It's maddening. Really? It, it, what I don't understand is there's someone listening and Alexa, oh God, let's put that on again. Like, why is it suddenly playing? It doesn't, it, it's not like it, you know, anyway, it's, no, it's, it's weird. It's, I find the Alexa has gotten worse over the last couple of years. And um, mine starts playing things randomly. It's the cat song. My one always plays, which my daughter loves. But What's this song goes: song? "I'm a cat, I'm a cat, I'm a pussy, I'm a pussy." It's just like it's a kid's song, but you're just like, it's like, oh my god, it's playing that song again. You know, my daughter's like, "Yay, it's playing my song." My mum came to stay, and she sounds like the Queen. And it played. We came. She looking after the kids. We came back. She was like, "Darling, I'm, I'm losing my mind." It had decided to play the national anthem of the UK on repeat to her. <laughs> now that's why I'm suspicious. That was some guy listening in going, "She sounds like the Queen." Let's put the national anthem on and really wind no, her up. No, there was a. You know, there was an episode. Sorry, this is totally off track. But there was an episode of Reply All, the podcast, mm-hmm. about is Alexa or whoever listening to you, and the answer is actually scarier than you think, which is no, it isn't because it doesn't need to, because it has so many sort of millions of data points about every single person, doesn't need to listen to you to work out what you want. Oh, no. It knows what you want without listening to you, which is even worse. Yeah. Okay, so you said, right, no sound unless you interact with it, but yes to video. Yes, and so we do show video now. The, The other point I would make is that we very much want this to be a piece of home decor that does not require your attention. And so it does play video, but it's not a television. We don't want you to be looking at it for hours at a time. We don't want you to be spending time uh, flipping through photos. Why would you, why you, you don't want to do that? Because it's... The world is full of screens that demand your attention. Yeah, isn't it just? You have your phone, you have your laptop, maybe you have an iPad, and maybe you have a laptop or desktop computer additionally. You don't need another screen that demands attention from you. One of the guiding principles of the company, and I think that I say every few months in case people are forgetting it, is that we want the frame only to make you happy. We want it only to make your life feel more meaningful. And so it will never show you the weather. We don't show you what time it is. We don't show you what time your next meeting is. We're trying to make this, A, be beautiful, and B, make your life better in some fundamental way. in the background nice pictures of your life and you're right when I think of the like that you know I've got all of them Google I you know I buy all of them because I'm sort of interested how they work but and I'm a gadget freak but yeah the screens that are like yeah it's got the data it's got bits of my calendar it never has the information I need you know what I mean it's trying to be sort of helpful and it yeah. creates anxiety Cha- and yes, stress yes chaos so much of technology over the last 10 years 
has created stress, created noise in your life and in your mind. We are really trying to go against that, trying to create a product that is meaningful, that makes you happy, and that brings a little bit of calm. And that's been a challenge for us sometimes. We introduced the product uh, originally, and it had a sensor in it to know when someone was standing near it. And the software was set up so that it only changed the photo when you left the room. So every time you would come back to the room, uh, it cool. would show a different that's... photo, but you'd never see it changing. I'd be spending my life trying to catch it. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and the idea, again, was that it should be magic and it yeah. shouldn't look like a computing device. And we found that people wanted the picture to change more often. And then we allowed you to change it, you know, on a schedule and change it every five minutes even, which we thought was crazy. No one's going to want the picture to change every five minutes. And people said, can I have it change every minute and yeah. 30 seconds? People yeah. want it to change. And so we've had to give up on that vision of the magical frame that changed when you weren't looking. People want to see more it's photos. It's a nice idea, but you underestimate the need for grandparents to see different pictures of their grandchildren. Exactly. The attention exactly. span of even grandparents. I mean, my parents were literally, because my brother bought them, I don't know whether it's an aura one actually, but a frame, an electronic frame, and they will just sit and watch it for hours, wow. like going, oh, what look, wasn't she lovely when she was that age? One of the things hours. that's amazing about the product is that people love it. It makes them so happy. And we're not naive. We know that they love it because they love their grandchildren, right? Yeah. It's nothing necessarily specific. And I suspect that if you looked at customers of other high-quality digital picture frame companies, you would find that their customers love their product too because people just love their grandchildren. They love their children. They love their nieces and nephews. And so the product has this amazing halo from that. I feel like they love their grandchildren more than their children. Oh yes, most people. It's just the perfect distance. <laughs> I mean, though, I'm isn't not it? hurt, but it's it's the it's upside like. without without you know with a one and a three year old. I mean, and it is it it is a peculiar thing. You sort of how much you just think, oh, I'm not going to be one of those parents that endlessly takes pictures. But my God, I do. You know, you know what I found really useful. Actually, you're aware of this new you know the new product, the Ray Ban view the glasses with cameras in them what's interesting about that a little uh, it, it's a, a slight juxtaposition or slightly different you know because i like what you're saying it's really social media and stuff is just endlessly just like making people anxious and here's a very traditional format that's just gives pleasure do you know what i mean the other thing is taking videos getting your camera out is a real light and you're at the concert and you're looking at your little i mean it makes me laugh when i watch someone almost the entire concert look at their phone which is looking at the stage and you're just like you just watch it on YouTube, I guess. But the putting a camera in glasses, although people don't like it, they freak out. They're like, oh my God, you've got a camera in your glasses. It actually makes so much more sense because you're just looking with your eyes. You're not pulling out a camera. You're just in the moment, whatever the inverted commas How is. How do you operate You just it? press a button for a photo or then you press it just to take a 30-second video or take. And actually what's really funny is you forget you put the video on. So like the other day I was doing it with my friend and then I went and eat some pizza. So we're watching this video back and he's like, oh, yeah, it's really cool. And then I just sort of wander off. It makes, you, it makes me realize how terribly rude I am at times. And I just stand in the corner eating pizza. And he's like, he's like, that was weird. And I was like, yeah, it's the problem with it. You forget you're doing it. You know, I'm going to end up in the toilet sometime. Anyway, let's hope that doesn't get on the frame. But It raises a great question, though, as we think about how the 
technology of picture taking moves mm-hmm. forward because yes. we used to take a few pictures a week or a month, yes. and now we're taking pictures every day. And it's very easy to imagine, and it's already the case with police walking around with body cameras, that we will be walking around at some point with ambient photography and video taking place. And I then, think, I think that's then right. the hard problem becomes what moments are worth preserving. But Apple's getting quite good at that. Yes. To be fair to them, the new functionality, because we would, none of us were looking at our pictures and we were all taking far too many, the way it brings up memories and stuff, they're not bad. I was looking at them yesterday and it, and what's great is after you watch one, it suggests another yeah. one and you get pulled in, right? Yeah. But Apple had noticed that we'd visited a particular town a number of times over the years. And so they showed me a video of me with my children at various ages. It's very wow. fun. Wow. Um, yeah, I, that's almost my point. What I noticed is people get quite upset. They go, oh, well, that's rude. You're evading my privacy almost when you use your glasses to take a video thing, which makes absolutely no sense because they would be quite happy if I'd video or take a picture. But I actually think it's the future. And I actually think like exactly like you say, it's almost going to be ambient. You're going to get to the end of the day. The tech's going to be good enough. And it's going to say, here's some stuff to send to your wife. Do you know what I mean? And you just or wonder whether- here are, here are the three key meetings you had today and we've downloaded the- audio file or the video and oh yeah put it be. on the file on your system and then you know well, I'm not sure about that that's a very interesting philosophical question if, if if everything was recorded the whole time as a professional that makes it almost impossible to do your job as a tax person I mean there's a very interesting <laughs> no but there's an interesting <laughs> difference bad. between lawyers and I, I remember years ago <laughs> explaining this to a lawyer who was working with us he just you know we've had lawyers and accountants working together for decades but it's taken a while to get it right because they really didn't understand each other but yeah and he was blowing his mind that I said look as a tax person I have to find out where the edges are so that means I have to ask questions where I'm almost enticing someone so they tell me you know this is x and you say oh okay well that wouldn't be great could it also be y and you have to see how they react yeah yeah definitely could be y or "Mm, yeah I'm not sure okay no maybe not back here so the whole job is almost finding where the you, you you're suggesting wrong things to find out the truth where the truth sits because tax is so much about the order in which it's done and the mm. the, 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 the storyline the the arc of what you've done and I don't know it's weird to explain no, it's but, a great question you think about when you import things this is a tax issue I guess and you classify it as a X or a y or a yes. Z and you wouldn't really want the customs folks to hear the conversation yeah. where you say oh well it could be auto parts because you could use it in a car or it could yeah, yeah, be exactly. dessert, right? Yeah, they, the reality of uh, any definition is it's great. There's no perfect definition of anything, you know, and then the English language is scattered with, with, with words that are desperately trying to grab some. And that's, that all taxes is words at the end of the day. Everyone thinks it's numbers, but it's not, it's just words. So yeah, exactly that. I, you know, I'm now very scared about wearing my glasses all the time. I must remember not to wear those in meetings. Um, but I, it's a fun, that'll be a funny world. Won't it? And then, and then, I think I'm okay with it automating that it then put it on the digital frame. I think so. I still need to check them. Yeah, I guess. It's, it's a question of whether the magic, and maybe the magic will be 95% of the time, it'll show you an image that you really want to see and makes you happy. And 5% of the time, it'll show you something horrible. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. I wish I didn't see that. I wish I didn't see it. <laughs> but you're a manufacturer, which um, I'm always, always thinking anyone who manufactures anything is brave as someone from the services industry. But um, that's complicated. And what? And do you find manufacturing complicated? Yes. Are, you, are you like everyone you manufacture in China? Because I don't think yes. anyone... So we have four contract manufacturers that we use right now. 
And we have a team on the ground, 15 people in Shenzhen, in China, who work with the contract manufacturers who uh, source all of the parts. One thing that's unusual about Aura is that they manufacture entirely to our specifications. So we design the product from the ground up. We do the electrical uh, engineering, the mechanical engineering, uh, the industrial design. and then Here have, in New York? or uh, no, in, Yes, it's mostly done in New York. Some parts okay. of it are done in China. And then we commission these firms to manufacture them to our specifications. So we have a team that makes sure the quality is good and that does all the testing and so on. But it is a, uh, it's an interesting business, and particularly someone like me. I came from media and software, and certainly in the software business, you expect to ship something and then update it over time, mm. right? Uh, and, and that, you know, that's even more true with server-side software. And of course, we at Aura can do that with our server-side software, and we do that with our mobile apps all the time. And we even do that with the software that runs on the frames, the, the firmware that actually shows the photos. But the hardware, once you it ship it, change. it's that's it. done. And if you ship software to it that actually makes it stop working, Sometimes the only solution is for the person Granny's to send it back. not happy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so that's been an interesting experience for me personally, learning about the world of hardware and the the need to make final decisions that you can't change until maybe the next year, depending on how many units you're making of that. On the other hand, it is really nice to manufacture a product and sell it for more than it costs you to manufacture it. And you feel like it's a real business. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, you feel like, like you're actually making something. I make yeah. a widget. It's a controversial question. We can always cut it out. But the, um, if you had trouble with, you know, the classic China copying or you control the production, I guess, but it's sort of, you create, is it creating competitors or anything? Or The risk for us is much lower because... Even if our factory ran a third shift and produced extra frames overnight and they called it by some other name, but it was an aura frame inside the box, it wouldn't work. Right. And so it needs your software. It needs our software and it needs to talk to our server side software. It needs to run our software on it. And without uh, being an authorized product, it just wouldn't work. You couldn't create an aura That's quite account. A good uh, and yes. So, um, in the era when you could put an SD card in it or a flash drive, sure, you could make extra ones and sell them. It doesn't work now. Um, and that's an interesting, I guess that's what a lot of companies do that manufacture something physical is almost everything has software in it now. And that's your way of sort of staying in control of that product base, basically. And I mean, I would say it's a side effect. Yeah. We don't do it for copy protection or for defense of the product. It's that. So many products work better because of software, and so many products work better because they talk to a server somewhere that keeps them up to date and delivers content. And people wouldn't want to give up that functionality. Well, it's what makes it good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, otherwise we're back to it just being a sort of box that's going to end up in another box at some point. Were you banging your head against the table over the last couple of years with the supply chain issues? Yeah, we had it... Easier than some companies, I would say, but we had um, we had a lot of work to do. So there were two big things that happened over the last couple of years that were in the news. First of all, 
it was very hard to get semiconductors, very hard to get electronic components. And the second was that it was very hard to ship things trans-Pacific. It was very hard particularly to get things from China to the U.S. and Europe. And we dealt with both of those. The first of those two was harder for us than than the second. The shipping side, we, uh, we've we got a very good partner and, and that all actually And your product out. price point is high enough that you can probably afford to incur higher shipping costs and still make margin to keep the customer base. Yes, but the product is heavy enough that you can't ship it by air. Oh, you can't? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, and it's big enough that... Doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to ship it by air. We do that very occasionally, but generally things need to go by container, by, by sea. So we did fine on the shipping side. The advantage that we had compared, I think, to some people is that when you unpack an aura frame and you plug it in and it shows you pictures of people who you love, you don't care what CPU or Wi-Fi chip is inside True. of it. It doesn't need masses of power. It doesn't it need is. masses of power. And you're indifferent to the the, spe- the specifications of the parts inside so long as it works on your Wi-Fi. And so what we found was that given the very good software engineers that we had, we just started buying different kinds of chips. And we had to write a lot of software. Because you have to change your code according to the architecture of the chip, which is something I only understood a few years back. And so we were buying different CPUs. We were buying a number of different Wi-Fi chips because we could get them. We had to pay more. Mm -hmm. But when it wasn't possible to buy the chips that we had previously used, we wrote software to use different chips. And so we were able to maintain the cadence of production. It was a lot of work. The advantage now, I guess, is that there are more parts for us to choose from when we're building. You're now the next more diverse. You're more, I don't know, yeah, flexible. I That's guess. right. That's yeah. right. And did you, did you use ARM chips at all? Yes. I just have to wave yeah. the British flag, even though it's not British anymore. <laughs> we literally sold our crown jewels during Brexit, you know, and, and, and thought it was great news. Anyway, there we go. Let's wind the clock right back. First proper job. It depends what you mean by proper job. Just so get the paid first, for it. Proper job. Yeah. So then the first job that I had, I would say that was a proper job. I worked at a chain restaurant in my town. I must have been 16. And from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., I chopped vegetables. Okay. And from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., I made ice cream sundaes. I'd love to spend my time making ice cream sundaes. It was great. It was great. I was very good at it. Did you have to like check every so often that they were still conforming to the recipe? And you mean no? eat half of them? Yeah, I, yes, <laughs> I ate a lot of ice cream, um, but I would make ice cream, uh, ice cream cones, ice cream sundaes. It was great. What the sort of swirly ones? Lots of swirly ones. Yeah. And after that, when was your sort of, um, what could be to a more proper job then? Your sort of, you know, start of your career, perhaps. Yeah, so I graduated from college in 1990 and went to work for a consulting firm doing um, strategy consulting for banks and other financial services companies. What did so, you do at college? Economics. Economics, okay. That's what I studied. So that was my introduction to the working world. Your career path has obviously um, worked out, but you know when you look back, do you, what do you think your sort of biggest uh, error might have been? You should have stayed in ice cream, perhaps. You know, no. <laughs> the interesting thing for me to think back, um, my, my parents, uh, who who are both gone now, my, my father died actually just a few weeks ago. Sorry. My parents oh. were both computer programmers. 
okay. which is right. unusual. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, my, my dad died at 85. Uh, he'd, wow. he'd gotten into software development in the very early 60s. Wow. And so I grew up in a household with two parents who were knowledgeable about computers. And computers and everywhere. Who wrote um, How uh, unusual. code all the time. Actually, it was a big fight between my parents because my father wanted to bring a computer home in, I was in middle school, I guess, and my mother refused. It was the sort of thing where he was a hobbyist and a nerd who loved computers and she viewed it as a job. So she didn't want the job coming home with her? Yeah, it reminds me of, I don't know, if they were coal miners and he wanted to dig in the backyard, you know, she's like, don't bring that (laughs) stuff into our home. So, and how funny you've ended up putting putting computers in people's homes. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> I think my mother particularly never wanted me to be in the software business because she thought, why would I do that sort of dirty business? Like I, I, could, <laughs> go, I could go get a real job, you know? Um, and so she particularly very much discouraged you me. You could from, have been a coal miner. I could have been a coal you miner, a exactly. Coal miner. And so when I was in, in college, um, you know, and I, I did a lot of computer programming recreationally in high school, but it never really occurred to me to be in technology as a career because it's what my parents did, and I, you know, I couldn't really imagine doing that. And so it took me, you know, a full ten years after college working in. Um, so you were a banking consultant for that time. Well, uh, for the the first half of it, and then I actually worked for a bank uh, for a number of years, and then after about ten years of working, I thought, well. There's so much amazing, um, so many amazing things going on in technology, uh, and I had friends who worked at AOL and other companies. I thought, why, given how interested I am in it, why am I not working in technology? And so I made the switch. And what do you think's most misunderstood about maybe about being in business? When I think about the questions that my daughters ask of me. People tend to think of business as the product that you're selling, what it is that you do, the advertisements that you run, and so on. But of course, it's all just people. And so much of the work of work is dealing with people. Yes. It's, it's sort of a, and so much of the stress of work is dealing with people, right? 99% yes. of the stress of work is dealing with people. For me, anyways. I think that's true. I think from the outside until you've been in business, yeah, it seems like this sort of machine. I guess you're sort of, your your reference points are kind of school where there's someone at the front and we all sit in little boxes and we're told what to do or something. And it's like, no, it's like proper collaboration. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of just talking to each other all day. Yeah, I think that even the, the software engineers and the people at Aura who work on hardware, some of the problems are not people. You know, you're trying to get a certain um, chip to work at a certain voltage and that can be a, you know, that that's not a problem that's about people. But so much of the solution usually involves talking to other people and figuring out who knows the answer to the problem already and so on. And so, you know, it, it always comes back to people. As someone who's got knowledge of coding and all of that, do you think you get better code or better products with people working together in the same place? Or it doesn't matter who, whether they're, you know, all on Mars or wherever. In terms of the geography, I think the jury's still out. We've shifted, as I think so many companies have, from requiring essentially everyone to be in the office. Before, everyone was required in the office every day. We had some people who worked from home 
who were not based in New York or San Francisco, who were salespeople, for example. But we would not have hired a software developer who lived in someplace other than New York or San Francisco because we wanted them in, in the office every day. Yeah. And um, to point to them. Uh, yeah, to point <laughs> to them. And because there is some benefit to having people mix and talk at lunch and Bounce solve problems together. Right. I know yeah. some people who are like, you can't build code. You can't build amazing code. Like you've got to all be together, you know. And then I've, I've people, I, someone who sort of said the opposite to me. Whether he, he was worked in Google for years, he was like Andy. Some people you really don't want to come in the office. The guy we were talking to this morning called it telecommuting, oh, yeah. he didn't called, he? He called it something completely, something like that. Anyway, like, remote working. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, it used to be called telecommuting. Um, yeah. yeah, wow. When yeah. it was a rare and unusual thing, there are definitely some developers who work best. By themselves and should be by themselves. Yeah, should be presumably. by themselves exactly. And I think most people enjoy not having the time spent getting to and from an office, right? Uh, and so we've certainly been much more open to hiring people who don't live in New York or San Francisco. Probably half the company now works from a, a place other than New York or San Francisco, and that has worked great uh, for us. But you miss something. There's some element of magic that I think we don't have when people are not together. And so you've got to come up with ways to get people together. We encourage people to come visit our offices. We try to connect people in other ways because there is some uh, some loss of not productivity, but magic when people are not together. Yeah, it's hard to find a word for it. We need one of those German words to come yes. up with. Yes, I it? also think it potentially makes you slightly less sticky, if you see what I mean, in that if people haven't bonded closely, you know, part of enjoying your job is bonding with the other people that work in a, a business. And if you don't do that, it's easier for you to go, oh, I'll just move on to the next job. Yeah. That's right. And during the uh, lockdown, I don't know if anyone else anecdotally had this, but we had three different clients have heart attacks, one extremely badly, and he was very lucky to survive. It's only that he's a former army man and all half his staff are, and they have a defibrillator machine. We now have defibrillator machines in offices. My, my wife's a doctor, and we were like, we need to get a defibrillator machine. So we've done that. And now we can say, you're safer in the office, of course. You know, if you're feeling a little bit, you overdid a little bit, the heart's a little dicky, why don't you get into work, you know? <laughs> we have one in our office too and I yeah. uh, always thought because I am pretty sure I'm the oldest person in the office I'm the first to go right so I, and you I, know I do feel to... occasionally that I should point it out to yeah. people <laughs> that, odds good. are it's going to be saving me what's your biggest kind of screw up and what have you learned from it we've talked a little bit about my foray into banking for 10 years after after college and then coming back to technology which is my my love and i would say that that was probably the biggest career screw up that i've made right. that i should have followed my heart into into tech yeah. uh, uh, in college and but i and, bet the skills always when you do something different your finance skills i bet have oh. given you a completely you know, perspective so useful. Yeah, uh, it's hard to know what the path would have looked like if I had done the other path. But that was one where I think all in, it was probably a significant mistake. And 
you know, I don't know that I learned anything from it other than the silly truism that you should follow your heart, right? Yeah. It's, um, it's not a silly truism. It's just a truism. <laughs> Nothing silly about it. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's doors always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. Um, what's the hardest thing you do in your job? I find that anytime you're running a business with investors' money, you feel the pressure. I feel that pressure every day. Yeah. I feel that pressure every day. We have people who've invested in Aura, and my job is to get that money back to them. You're a successful business, though. We I mean, are you're very a successful, successful business. But, you know, even though still, you oh, know. Uh, the, the pressure's there. The pressure's there. It'll be worse. And, uh, and I think for a business like ours, our business is very seasonal. And so we spend most of the year spending every penny that we have make, make, make. making goods that we will sell in November and December. Wow. And so, It's such a Christmas gift. It is I a mean, Christmas gift. Yeah, it is 100%. A, um, and we've been, we've done some great work to make the business less seasonal, but we'll still sell two-thirds of our business uh, in November and December. And so every year, it's the summer cash flow crunch. I mean, we, we grow incredibly fast. We've doubled every year since we brought the product out in 2016. No way. Doubled your revenue every Correct. year. Wow. Um, and so that pace is scary and risky, and particularly in the summer months like now, where we're investing all of this money in inventory, and we believe that it will sell in the fall and, and the winter, but it is scary. And it doesn't get less scary because we keep growing so fast. It's really common misunderstanding, and, I, and maybe because I've been through it myself, I realize how blind people are, that they start a manufacturing business. They don't, they don't even realize what they're getting into, but I'm always like, manufacturing's a nightmare. You know, skincare is a good example. You know, I'm going to start making some skincare or something. And they don't get the fact that if they're successful, they're going to always need twice as much money now as they've got because they're, you're, you don't get paid to, I mean, your model might be, you know, there's this huge delay to get the it's money. It's the same and all, thing. And it's just, if you're growing, you've got to be raising money to, to manifest. Every anyway. year we need more cash than we needed the year before. And you actually, so you haven't actually got the money that you need basically every year, but you're growing. So you, so people in their head think, well, I'll make this first batch, these first 5,000, and then we'll sell them. And then I'll, I'll buy twice as much. And it's like, no, no, it's, it's not, you're going to need to buy twice as much, you know, halfway through selling anyway. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's tricky. The answer to this might be cash flow, but what's the biggest challenge facing your business? 
hiring. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we, because we've grown so quickly, we've hired a lot of people. We've done very well. I think we've hired great people. This may be a personal failing rather than a, a statement about the problem in general, but I don't feel like I've gotten any better at hiring in the 30 years or so that I've been interviewing people. Oh, in terms of picking the, picking the winners? Yes. Yeah. I think it's impossible. There's no one can tell with a half-hour interview or but whatever. But isn't that terrible? It's, it's just impossible. It's, it's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. I interview people, I, I interviewed some people uh, this week, and I thought, they seemed fine. <laughs> They're um, personable and smart, and they check all the boxes, and they say that they can do but the But they're things. probably, li- they may be lying to you. you don't, how will you me, know right. until they and, do it? Um, and so interviewing is a very poor way to assess competence, but there isn't for many jobs any other way. It's not like you can give someone you could do yeah. IQ tests. I mean, that's do, the thing, because you know. I'm a lawyer. What we do when we're hiring juniors is we set them a little test because we can set, because we're lawyers, we can set them a drafting test. How do you, you make know, it a high quality like, cup of tea? Write, a, yeah, that's <laughs> write an email to a client explaining something. And then you can just see whether they can really. Do you, you do know, that? And, yeah, we and, do that. And we do yeah. that for our software developers. So we give them problems, a series of problems to solve, and we watch them solve the problems. And that works. But for many jobs, there isn't anything. There isn't yeah. anything like that, and that is disappointing. How do you deal with it? Because I mean, I feel the clue is: what do we do? If it's a big hire, we need four or five of us to meet them, and we get some. We get the knowledge of the crowd. Do you know what I mean? None of us are no, but between us, you sort of get a, a sense. Is that your approach? Or yeah, we have people meet. Four or five of us. So time we try to have. Yeah, that's the problem. It's a length, <sighs> then a really lengthy process, right? Yeah. You've got to keep the interview short. The mistake is you've got to be quite. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's tricky because it's very impolite. And if you keep the interview short, I find if I interview someone for a half an hour, I don't know them. No. You know, I spend five minutes saying who I am and they spend five minutes on their interview. You don't get them to mis- make a mistake too. Yeah. I've, I've, made, I've had a few interviews in my life that still make me laugh. I remember hiring someone to do, to do in a skincare business and then I was like, and you, if you relax them enough and you're just chatting and then you say, oh, do you like skincare? No, I can't stand skincare. She said, <laughs> I still remember this meeting and then I look on her face like, oh shit. I shouldn't have said that. I'm like, next. <laughs> you know, it's like, maybe maybe don't do this. That's the only time I get it right, actually. If you you almost talk randomly, you know, and something comes out and you're like, oh, okay. Do you think her not liking skincare actually would have made her bad at doing the job? I, You know what? You're quite right. I don't know, but I just thought, oh. I didn't give a shit about digital picture frames when yeah, I took yeah. this job. No, I think true. Yeah, true. Well, it's also the case that given the way society works, if you hired only people who said they'd been passionate about software development since they were 10 years old, which there are many, they would all be white men. Yes. You know, oh. it's 100% yeah, so your diversity and inclusion I, I is not going to be... I thought of it in the diversity, the pattern of behavior. Yeah that, yeah, that society doesn't really tolerate black girls who are fascinated by computers yeah. at 10 years yeah, old. Yeah, so yeah. it isn't necessarily the case that you want to hire people who wanted to be lawyers or computer programmers or whatever since they were 10. It's a bit like my taste in hip-hop. Every time I go to a gig, it's just lots of blokes who look like me. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, and even the, even the artists sometimes are like, I love my fans, but could I get some women fans? <laughs> anyway, I'm into weird hip-hop. 
So uh, what are you most excited about then, just to round up on Aura? What's the, you know, we've got a new product coming we've out. We've got some amazing You're going to do a big one. No. In, I'm not going to say what we're working on. No. Okay. We've got some amazing products in the lineup for next year. I'm really excited about one of them. Okay, fantastic. We look, we look forward. Watch this You space. look really excited. I That's am like really, really excited. Go on, give, like us, give us a hint. No, we yeah. have a, um, a prototype of it in the office, and it's something great. different. Is it something different, or you know? No, okay, it's don't say anything. Strong. Don't. I'm sorry, I can't help myself. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no. Well, it's got to be different enough that, that you're excited. It, it makes me incrementally excited. Yeah. This is a philosoph- we're moving philosophical now. Do you think that society should have higher taxes and, and, and therefore the government should sort everything out? Or do you, do you think philanthropy and, and small organizations, you know, how are we going to save the planet? Oh, I'm very far on one end of that spectrum, oh. which is that I believe that social problems need to be solved by societies through rules and taxes are part of that. Yeah, that, that if you look to people to decide on their own to solve even small problems, but forget about the the big problems, you will not ultimately get a good Self-interest will kick in immediately. Yeah, and and that it isn't, you know, if, if we're relying on Elon Musk to decide to oh save God, us from something, <laughs> it, uh, we're just not going to get there. Yeah. No. Although, you know, someone like Elon's the easy example, someone like that's impact is spectacular. I mean, I think that's what America's very good at. You're very, you have a very powerful way that you can fund companies and do things. You also have that state federal thing, which I understood over time actually gives you a flexibility in your culture. From our perspective, it's bonkers. Mm-hmm. That you know, I cross the state line, oh, you can't drink here or something. It's right. like, well, like, the idea that you can cross a state line and, you, and the policeman like can't touch you and you're like or alternatively you cross a state line you can't get an abortion that kind for of thing example. yeah well it's um, yeah exactly stuff like that but you know it is it is amazing the way the private individual in America and the, the dream of America can sort of make this huge impact and our, our you know our history is littered with cases of you know people transforming the world and some of them are British and stuff like that so government needs to get it right but Business has an interesting part to play, I guess, in sort of coming up with solutions. Yes, but I would like businesses to be operating within a framework of rules that provides enough revenue for government to do the work the government needs to do. Yeah. I think I mostly agree. We're terrible at philanthropy. And I think everyone is, we're just really struggling with the whole government and tax is really complicated, basically. You know, what do you tax? How do you tax it? But we just all seem to be doing a really shit job at, at running our countries at the moment. Yes. And it seems to be getting worse it's and getting worse, worse rather than better and better. Yeah. We've been having this debate for some days now, and it may not even be a debate at all, but do you think, I suppose the first question is, do you think that capitalism needs fixing? And if so, is there a fix for it? Just a small yes. question. Just a tiny question. Yes and yes. I think... So far, and I do have a U.S.-centric view of this, um, but so far, capitalism has failed on climate change, and that is literally catastrophic. So it's hard to argue that capitalism doesn't need fixing, given that the combination of capitalism um, in the many countries that have it and the the you know, the range of governments that we have across the world hasn't come up with any meaningful 
fight against climate change. And so um, I think capitalism is broken. Whether or not it can be fixed, theoretically, you could imagine all sorts of... Why do you think it went wrong? I mean... Yeah, I mean, we've filled our oceans with plastic and continue to do so and things like this, but, you know. There's no price to be paid for all of these yes. externalities, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and capitalism should have a mechanism to control that. Well, is that that's rule of law, isn't it? Yeah, it, well, it's rule of law and having laws that say if you're emitting carbon into the atmosphere, you need to to pay for it. I mean, I think it gets back to the, the a philanthropy versus taxes questions that uh, I'm always irritated by appeals to individuals or even companies to do better with respect to carbon emissions and things like that. Because as an individual, there's no reason that I have to worry about the carbon footprint of what I'm doing why can't it just be priced into all the things mm-hmm. that I buy? Yeah. Uh, I don't need the emotional and intellectual overhead of deciding whether um, I should do X or Y or Z. And I don't even want Elon Musk to feel bad about taking his private jet, although I'm sure he doesn't feel bad about it. He should just be paying enough for jet fuel to make up for it in carbon capture or planting forests or whatever. You know, this... this has turned into a, a a pile of guilt that people are asked to carry around with them. And that's because we've failed to reflect the price of the harm that we're doing in the things that we buy. So it's almost like let capitalism work more. Let, yes. let it let it work properly and more extensively. Yes. And then it would work. Yes. You wonder where we would be though. I mean, a lot of that is that China, the largest nation in the world, entered the commercial market and started making stuff. And that had this huge deflationary effect. And we all remember growing up when a TV and a computer was like a massive decision for the family. It was probably the equivalent now of spending 5000 you know, not $200 or whatever. And that sort of, you wonder if that hadn't happened where we would be socially or consciously, because um, is it not slightly that we all just, we just love cheap stuff and we want more stuff, you know? I think that's right. I also think that it's very easy for me as an American in New York City to say, start charging for carbon usage now because I'm already sitting in an air-conditioned building made out of concrete (laughs) that was built when carbon emissions were free, right? And I have all of the resources available to me that were not properly How do you do that as a company? Because you you don't want your frames at 500 quid and then you're out of business. How does Azura frames take that forward? You know, they put their prices up. Uh, I would be thrilled if we could be charged by our suppliers for the full environmental impact of the of the things that we buy, right? But you're absolutely right that we've we've sort of gone away with a lot up to a point. In a way that's advantaged us versus the entire southern hemisphere. But you also can't let the perfect be the enemy of the yes, good. That's right. You know, you you've got to do what you can do and take steps when you're able to take them. Yeah, and and that I think with respect to climate change it doesn't actually advantage the Southern Hemisphere for the Earth to keep getting hotter. Yes. And so if we can come up with systems 
to mitigate the harm and undo the harm, it will actually be to the good of everyone in the world. And, you know, there are some equity issues there that have to be worked out. But as you say, we can't let the perfect be the enemy. And a a lot of the places that will end up underwater and not, it's not, you know, it's not us. Yeah. This is, you know, the UK, we're terribly arrogant underneath it and also terribly insecure, especially about our American relationship. Do you think the US gives the monkeys about a trade deal with the UK? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being honest. I think we, I think, yeah. Do you think the US cares um, or, you know, how does the US regard the UK from your perspective as an American? My, and I won't speak for We don't the mind US. you insulting us. I, yeah, I, know, we I, want the I truth. can only speak for myself. I'm so utterly baffled by Brexit. Yeah. It oh, I'm seems baffled by Brexit. Such a catastrophic, self defeating, ridiculous path that on every dimension is a horrible mistake and relegates the UK to be almost irrelevant. Mm. Still maintain that a lot of it was whipped up xenophobia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing yeah. more complicated defi- than that. Definitely right? a piece of that. But when you get down to all these people, and so many people say, "I wanted, you know, I wanted control of our laws back." You know, we want to be a sovereign state, and you say, "Okay, so what laws what is law? it yeah. that you have a problem with, or what law is it that you don't want to be controlled by anymore?" And none of them can name any of them. No. So it's like a ridiculous concept about something that clearly has no bearing at all on their lives, and they've literally shot their businesses, a lot of them, in the, you know, in a yes, vital okay, organ. Up. And yeah. I, I think your answers were very. Uh, I thank you for being honest. So I mean, to conclude that. Does the UK represent an entry point into Europe still? Not anymore. Not anymore. It, it was. It was, yeah. But, uh, you know, I think about Aura and, you know, we, we do business in, in the UK, uh, France and Germany, and, and we will expand further uh, on, on the continent. But the old vision of our, you know, having the headquarters of our European business in London that world seems to be gone. And so now we will have, we'll continue to have our our UK business, but fundamentally we're going to have a significant European business and it's going to be headquartered in Germany, most likely. It worked very well otherwise previously without Brexit because it was just, it was a perfect stepping stone. It was great. You know, and 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 Americans had a sort of, a friendly entry point into this sort of crazy language. Well, yeah, I mean, we are slightly separated by the same language, as we've discovered over the last few days, but, you know. But it's disappointing as an American to lose the UK as the entry point to Europe because it was really convenient in a in a, a host of ways. And now that, that's gone. And so, you know, fortunately, everyone in Germany speaks great English and... Um, Possibly uh, slightly better than ours. Yeah, <laughs> a, a certainly better than mine. And it'll be fine, but it's it's just a loss. It is what it is. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? When I was a child, um, um, my father and I were in the uh, the local hardware store. There was a, you know, a, a display of canned vegetables in in the hardware store, and and um, I said to my father, "That's sort of weird that they're selling I don't know canned green beans or something." And he said, "You know that when the hardware store starts selling canned vegetables, they're about to go out of business." Wow! And sure right, enough, yeah, they yeah. they were gone. You know, within a few months. It's just a reminder 
that if you've got something that you're good at and you have the opportunity to continue to be good at that or try to do something else, first of all, continue to be good at what you're good at. Some recommendations for good reads or good pods, things that you're enjoying. Or good music. music. Andy likes the music. So my wife and I just finished watching a television show uh, called Station Eleven, which is based on a book by Emily St. John Mandel. And um, I, I read the book a number of years ago, but it is a it is about a theater company in post apocalyptic America, and they travel around doing Shakespeare. Wow! Uh, oh, wow! What that an sounds idea. really good. Uh, and the book was great, and the the uh, a television program was very good. The acting was really good, and it's just a whole set of really interesting. Ideas Premises, around yeah. art and why. We what do went what down we well? Do. The Tempest must have been the, 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 the top performance, wouldn't it? I would have thought post-apocalyptic. That maybe would have you just want to know because maybe you just want to be romanticized and forget Bottom. forget the horror, and so you have you know much to do about nothing yeah. unless you like it and those kind of nice romantic things. Okay, so you've done very well. Those were the difficult questions. Okay. Now there's the really difficult questions. So this is our favorite part of the show where we're going to do um, list off some uh, key terms and you have to tell us whether you think they are business or bullshit. Are you clear, Josh? Okay. Are you ready? DQ the music, please. Thank you very much. Diversity quotas. Business. Very good. Do you have a diversity quota? Yeah. <laughs> I've never, I think it's very rare that people actually have them. Maybe, But I think those quotas, when applied, should apply to who you're interviewing, not yeah. who you hire. And I think that's a good thing to do. Stand-up meetings, the idea that people have a meeting standing up. I've never met anyone who had one. Have you had a standing-up meeting? We have stand-ups. Almost every department at Aura has a stand-up. But you're sitting down, aren't you? Uh, I'm currently sitting down. I'm actually going to go for business on this also because it's actually really useful to get everyone together once a day for five minutes and just say what you're working on. Caffeine. Caffeine? Bullshit. Very good. Do you, are you a coffee drinker currently? Not really. I, maybe half the days I'll have a coffee, but... Um, tea? She no. said, hopefully. No. no tea. He's given up on Britain completely. He had a small piece of connection. Meeting agendas. I'm going to call bullshit on that. Yeah. I think mostly it's bullshit, you know, because no one ever follows them anyway. Office dogs. Bullshit. <laughs> you ever had one in the office? No. No, we have, it's funny, we were discussing this at lunch today. We have a no dog policy in the office and it started because one of our uh, people is very allergic to dogs. Right. But um, I said today earlier at lunch that I think, because I really like dogs, I find them very distracting. Ah, yeah, I can okay. see it. And I have two dogs at home, and so when I work from home, there's a lot of dog in my workday. Yeah. And it's nice to have one place on God's green earth where I can go where there are no fucking dogs. Carbon credits. Unfortunately, bullshit. It's sad, isn't it? They need to come back properly. Swearing in meetings. I don't know what that means. Swearing in meetings. Oh, swearing Bad in language. meetings. Bad yeah. uh, language. Uh, like, you know, business. <laughs> I think it's fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Good man. Pub lunches. I don't really do them here. I guess just going for lunch and having a few beers, do a bit of business. 
Mm, bullshit. You guys don't do it. Sort of dying out in the UK. B Corps. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to go business on that. Are you, think, are you thinking of being one? Yeah, um, I have thought about it. I've looked into it. You know, the, this actually goes against what I had said before that the rules should be set up and you shouldn't be looking to individual yeah, virtue yeah. For, for solving society's problems. But I think it's good for businesses to recognize that profitability and shareholder value is not the only thing that they should be optimizing. NDAs. Business. Just it's a... Unlimited vacations. Bullshit. Do you know anyone who's doing it? Aura has an unlimited vacation policy. You do? Oh. We do. And I'm not happy. I'm not convinced that it's working. What's happening? I'm not convinced. I won't say what's happening, but I would say I'm not convinced that it results in an equitable actual vacation policy for people at across levels of the company, across genders, across offices. So LinkedIn. Bullshit. Oh, really? Sad. It used to be great. You think it's lost the plot? All I get are LinkedIn connection requests from salespeople and recruiters. It's all spam. It's all spam. And it's a shame because it was great. Yeah. But I can't remember the last time I got a LinkedIn request from someone who I'd actually ever met. And so it's been probably a year. Whereas I get, you know, a dozen a week from um, people I don't know. Net zero. Bullshit. Because it's unattainable or it's just a... No, I just feel like asking companies to solve the world's problems with respect to climate change is misguided. It's assigning to business something that is the, the that should be the province of government. Bitcoin. <laughs> Bullshit. It's not very popular, unfortunately. NFTs. Business. Oh, interesting. Hey. You think Bitcoin's okay. bullshit, but NFTs business? Yeah, that I feel like Bitcoin as a as a math problem is amazing. It is amazing. It's a and uh, it's, you know, a, a, um, truly a genius. genius creation. NFTs, I think because people love to own things, mm-hmm. having a, um, you know, enforced scarcity on digital objects will ultimately be useful. Yeah, it works. And and maybe it's good they're not physically made. Maybe that's, you know, yeah. it's, you know, using up energy. I think we know the answer to this one. Brexit. Bullshit. With a capital B. Thought leadership. The phrase makes me want to throw up. So <laughs> I think that's probably bullshit. Gender pronouns. Agenda pronouns. Like gender putting, pronouns. You know, oh, gender pronouns. Yeah, mm-hmm. gender oh, pronouns. business. Okay, good. Oh no! I think fun. that might be that might be it. That's it. We'll we'll, we'll put one more for uh, fun, which is no. If you maybe let's do um, yeah, let's do Alexa. What about Alexa? Do you think that's business or bullshit? Business. And then podcasts. Business. Excellent. This is where we give you thirty seconds to pitch Aura or anything else you want to pitch. 
you're trying to buy a present for someone who you love or who you like or who you just want to check the box and give a present to, there's really nothing better than an aura frame. They will actually love it. Fantastic. And it's A-U-R-A-Frame.com, is it? Auraframes.com. Fantastic. Presumably it's aura as in, your aura is a bit pink today. Sure. So there we have it. That was another episode of Business Without Bullshit live from New York. Thank you very much, Josh. This was my pleasure. You, you were fantastic. Thank you, Pippa, my co-host. My pleasure too. Thank you, dear, our long-suffering producer. He's got to listen to this uh, later. Poor chap. Thank you to you, dear listener. And we'll have another episode soon. Until then, it's ciao. 